That's scary. Um, flyers will hopefully be in the church next week so that we can start distributing them around. Um, because it is, I don't know how many of you are doing Lent at the moment, but Taryn and I are counting down the days until we can eat sugar again. <laughs> Which is, uh, what is it now? It's about 20 days? I'm counting. She's not counting. I am. <laughs> It, it's less than a month until Easter, um, and just to remind you, we will have all four of our Easter services, um, Friday morning, Friday sunset service, Sunday sunrise service, those sunset sunrise services are amongst my favorite, um, and then of course the Sunday service on the 20th of April, so it's exactly 20 days. Um, but we're looking this Easter at the story of Jesus the Disturber. We all know that Jesus died. Um, I, I, I think we've heard, all of us, that the idea Jesus died to save us. But, but we want to go deeper than that this year. We want to ask ourselves, well, why did Jesus die? What did he do to provoke the Pharisees and the Romans and even the general population, to demand his death. Why did Jesus die? And, and I want to suggest to you this year that, that Jesus died, A, because it was God's plan to save us, but B, because Jesus is a disturber. And in fact, God's plan is a disturbing plan. It, it breaks through and disturbs the status quo. It breaks through and disturbs us where we are comfortable. And today we're looking at, at Jesus, the disturber, who refuses to play by our rules and instead insists on playing by his rules. The problem is when people don't play by my rules, I get upset because my rules are the right rules. Capiche? Mark chapter 2, and we're looking at three incidents and three different ways in which Jesus plays according to God's rules and not our rules. Chapter 2, verse 13, Jesus uh, goes to the lake shore again, and he taught the crowds that were coming to him, and as he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, uh, also known as the disciple Matthew, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. And so Levi got up and followed him. He left his job. Um, you don't walk out of the tax department and think you can get your job back. He's gone. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many other tax collectors and, and other disreputable, disreputable sinners. And there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. When the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, I love these guys, they're so gentle and kind and compassionate, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people need a doctor. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. Now, once uh, when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, 
John's disciples probably fasting because John at this stage has been executed. Um, so they're fasting, um, and some people come to Jesus, and they asked, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? See, the Pharisees uh, and John's disciples, who were very much into forgiveness as well, they would fast twice a week to show the world how sorry I am. And they'd make sure you knew that they were fasting because everyone needs to know how sorry you are because then how are they going to look up to you and think that you're such a wonderful person if they don't know that you ask for forgiveness twice a week? Whew. So they come up wearing their white makeup and their torn clothes, looking all super religious, and they come and they ask Jesus' disciples, they, they ask Jesus and say, well, well, some people come and say, look at these guys, and why don't your disciples do the same thing? Why don't they fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? And Jesus replies to them and says, well, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. You can't fast while the groom is with them. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would well, it would shrink and rip away the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins because the new wine would burst the wineskins and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. And one Sabbath, as Jesus and his disciples were walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off the heads of grain to eat them. And we see, I think, in Luke that they start husking it with their fingers at the same time. But the Pharisees, who seem to have nothing better to do than follow Jesus around and accuse him, the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look! Look why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever heard in this, read in the Scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest, and he broke the law by eating the sacred loaves uh, of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat, and he also gave some to his companions who weren't with him. He probably gave it to them when, when they joined him a bit later. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. And he goes into a synagogue and again, and he notices man with a deformed hand and it's a Sabbath day and his enemies watch him because if he, if he heals the man on the Sabbath day, they plan to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. And Jesus says to the man, come on, stand in front of us. And he turns to his critics and he says, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? They wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. And at once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how they would kill Jesus. Jesus the disturber. Preacher without sermon notes. 
Jesus disturbs by not following our rules of society, our rules of tradition, our rules of religion. See, it starts off with with the rules of society over here. Jesus calls Levi, this man who is probably on on course for for winning um, Israel's got hatred. Tax collectors are universally unpopular, but in those days, your tool of the trade was most likely to be bribery and intimidation. You make your money by taking a bit extra. Levi is an unpopular man. Socially, he lived in the lap, in the lap of luxury because he, well, he skimmed money off every transaction, probably. But, but in terms of society, his friendship circle is limited to his own kind. Jesus calls him straight away. Levi drops everything, follows Jesus. Uh, and then what does he do? He invites his friends around to come and have a meal with him to celebrate his new life and, and to meet this, this teacher that, that he's following now. Which is a big deal because uh, in the ancient world, as much as it is today, if you eat with someone, you are saying that you are identifying with them. You are, you, are, you, you know, th- there's a link between you. Eating with someone is, is a really strong thing to do. Um, my family, my parents, both of Scottish heritage, um, the Scottish people are wonderful people. I forget which family did it to which, but uh, one set of Scottish uh, ancestors was fighting with the other set of Scottish ancestors years ago. They invited them round for dinner to sort out the fight. And as good Scottish Christians, they bowed their heads to pray. That's a Scottish accent. They bowed their heads to pray, and while the enemy was bowing to pray, they chopped off their heads. <laughs> um, and it's horrible because when you're eating together, you don't expect that. There's, there's a sense of solidarity and belonging when you eat together. Um, these sinners, by coming to Levi's house, by eating with Jesus, are somehow identifying with Jesus and the kingdom that he's announcing. And in fact, Mark tells us that there are lots of people like this who follow Jesus. Um, it's, a, it's a common complaint from the Pharisees and from the religious elite that Jesus is not picky enough in choosing his friends. Uh, I love how they, how they bristle when they look in. Why were they there? They're keeping tabs on Jesus. And they look in and they go, this so-called religious teacher eats with the scum of the earth. He eats with, well, what would it be today? Drug addicts and prostitutes. I don't know, how, how would we go if we were looking to hire a pastor and, and we saw him in the city one day having a a full-on slap-up party meal with druggies and prostitutes. Hopefully we'd still hire him, but wouldn't some of us go, ooh, what's he doing? Surely he needs to pick his friends a bit better. Because it's not just ministry, he's, he's hanging out with them. You see, the Pharisees saw these people as 
well, despicable sinners, the kind of people that you would be defiled if you came into contact with them, religiously, ceremonially defiled, and, and you best to keep away from them, keep them at arm's length until they've repented and done the right rites and, you know, sorted their lives out. In fact, uh, there's a, a rabbinic saying from later on after this time which says, let not man associate with sinners even to bring them near to the Torah. As in, don't go near the rubbish of the earth even to tell them about God's love because they're the rubbish of the earth. This is the kind of attitude with which the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are approaching Jesus who is eating with these people, who is associating with them, who is speaking some degree of solidarity with them. And I find it interesting that the Pharisees don't approach Jesus directly and say, call yourself a teacher. No, they go, to, they go to his disciples and they try and sort of sideline the disciples and they say, why does your teacher do this? Jesus, of course, hears them and, and, and has a fantastic answer. He says, the reason I hang out with the wrong crowd is because the wrong crowd are the ones who need me the most. And in fact, unlike the religious folk, the wrong crowd are those who know how much they need me. In fact, he says in verse 17 there that, that seeking out the sinful is the whole point of his mission. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. In fact, if you think about it, the fact that Jesus hangs out with sinners is a proof that he is the Messiah, the Savior, the Rescuer. Because you'd expect to find a Savior amongst those who need saving. Doesn't that just make sense, logically? But the Pharisees look at that and go, No! We are the good ones. If you are truly from God, you should be with us. Not with those scum. It's so easy for us to be like them, to, to as Christians be so cut off from the sinners outside the church that, that we have no connection to share the gospel with them. Or else we can be like, like the Westboro Baptist Church, so self-righteous that we are happy to point out the sin in others, but, but not happy to extend God's grace and mercy and forgiveness and love. Um, I spoke to the pastor at Margaret River Baptist. Uh, I don't know if you saw in the paper that Westboro Baptist, the, the group that goes around at funerals and, and all sorts of events holding up signs saying, God hates fags. Good at pointing out sin in others. Um, they should read their Bibles because it actually is God so loved the world. Doesn't like what we do, but doesn't like my greediness much either. They're, they're a bit like the Pharisees. Aren't they going around saying, you guys are the scum of the earth. If only you were like us. And it's so easy for me to stand here and point at them and say, oh, what a horrible church. They don't speak for us. But maybe not to the same degree, but, but don't we all do that a little bit as well? Isn't attempting to have a, a secret Pharisee inside of us that points to Jesus even and says, Jesus, you must be joking. I'm not hanging out with that person. 
I'm not associating my family with that family. I'm not associating my children with those children. You hear horror stories um, uh, of people who used to take their kids, a youth pastor I know up at Scarborough many, many years ago, uh, Mr. Aaron Bradfield, who some of you met, who used to run the youth group there and bring in the scum of the earth kids. And you know what the church did? They sent their children to another youth group. And we go, terrible. We just do it differently, don't we? Jesus doesn't play by our rules. We, we assume that those God chooses are like us, but, but they are. They're like us. They're sinners. They're differently sinners, perhaps, but they are just like us. Um, we're happy to sing Amazing Grace that saved a wretch like me, as long as it's not Amazing Grace that saved a wretch like you. See, Jesus refused to play by the rules of status, he shows us God's heart and challenges us as to whose heart we reflect or whose rules we reflect, his or ours. goes on and Jesus challenges the rules of tradition, fasting. Um, uh, it's a legitimate spiritual discipline. Uh, it's a tradition. Um, uh, you might be fasting for Lent right now. Uh, it's a good thing to do. But uh, according to biblical law, uh, the Jews only had to fast one time a year on the Day of Atonement. Pharisees, though, are so religious and, ooh, aren't I fantastic? And aren't I godly and good and everyone should look up at me? They said, no, let's do it twice a week. Uh, we'll, we'll fast twice a week. And, and in fact, if you really want to please God, you should fast twice a week as well because if you don't, you're not quite as good as us, of course. Tradition says, you know, good people fast twice a week. Can I see who fasts twice a week? Oh, you scum of the earth. <laughs> oh, oh, my whole sermon. Ah. My whole sermon's going how terrible these people are. And Debbie puts her hand up and says, I'm like that. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I actually know Debbie's not like that. The Pharisees come in and their attack seems to be an innocent question. Oh, we were just wondering. And not even the Pharisees, it's, it's just bystanders. Speaking for the population, we're just wondering. John fasts, well, John's disciples fast, the Pharisees fast. They seem to be good, godly people, all about forgiveness and saying sorry to God. And, and surely you agree that people should be sorry to God. And yet we notice that you guys don't fast. You don't, you don't do the traditionally right thing. See, what the question really is, 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 Jesus, are you rejecting tradition? Now, in the Bible, of course, fasting is a sign of disaster or mourning or, or penance. But do you notice how Jesus answers? He says, he says let's think about a wedding. Because at a wedding... Uh, in those days, a Jewish wedding, uh, you got married, but when you got married, the bride and groom didn't disappear straight after a short reception. No, you'd spend the week celebrating your wedding with your family and your friends. 
Um, and during this week of feasting, according to the rules of tradition even, fasting was off. You don't fast at a wedding feast. It's inappropriate. It's wrong. What Jesus says is, you don't fast at a wedding feast. You don't fast when you're with the bridegroom. His implication, he is the bridegroom. He reminds them, of course, that there will come a time when the bridegroom is taken away and when fasting will be uh, appropriate. And, and there was, of course, that time um, when, when, when Jesus uh, was in the grave when it was completely right to fast. And there's that time now in a different sense where Jesus is in heaven, he's with us by his spirit, but it's still appropriate to fast because we, we're not face-to-face with him kind of thing. And, and that's why we see in Acts that fasting is, is done and, and it's quite appropriate in those places. But Jesus says to them, yeah, the point is I'm with you. And if I'm with you, the tradition, are you really going to fast and mourn and show penance when you're with me? the source of life and joy and hope and all that is good in the world. And he goes on, he says in a deeper sense, um, the kingdom that, that he is pronouncing cannot be held in the old traditions. You can't put new cloth on old because, because it's just going to stretch and rip and break. Um, if, if you try and put the good news of Jesus and all that he is doing into old wineskins, the ferment of that gospel is just going to shatter it all. It's going to be a mess. In fact, the story of Acts and the story of, the, uh, of, of most of the letters is a story of, of Jewish traditionalists trying to limit the church into the old forms of Jewish religion. And what do you see time and again? You see it just can't happen because the kingdom of God breaks through and brings a newness that cannot be held by the old tradition. You see, I think what Jesus is saying and showing us here is that when it comes to tradition, tradition is wonderful and fine and great and appropriate at times, but, but being with Jesus is better. See, Jesus' rule shows us that what matters is not religious observance or traditions, but a relationship with Him. It's not going to help us anything if we fast three times a week, four times a week. If we fast every day of the week, Jesus will look at us and go, wow, you're really sorry, aren't you? How about coming to the source of life and forgiveness? How about hanging out with the one who gives you new life? You know what? I've dealt with it. I've dealt with it already. You don't have to keep going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, because I've done with your guilt. Forget your tradition and spend time with me. Make that your tradition. Jesus goes on and he, he breaks the religious rules of the day. It's an innocent act by the disciples. They're just grabbing some food as they go but it escalates to this confrontation. And the disciples, all that they're doing is, is working on the Sabbath. And, and technically, strictly speaking, they're lawbreakers. Um, 
according to the Pharisees. They've got hundreds of rules the Pharisees had back then for what you could and, could, could and could not do on the Sabbath. Um, and there are four which says you're not allowed to reap, you're not allowed to thresh, you're not allowed to winnow, and you're not allowed to prepare meals. So technically, the disciples have broken the Pharisees' code. And notice also that they accuse the disciples of breaking the law, not Jesus. Um, Jesus never broke any of the rules of God. The only way they actually got him executed in the end was with false testimony. Jesus doesn't even contest the fact that technically his disciples have broken the Pharisees' rules. But he does contest the view that he contests the view of the Sabbath that kills the spirit of the law and sticks to the letter. In fact, he points to the Bible and says, let's, let's speak about the law of need having preference and the law of grace having preference. His, his example comes from no lesser person than David who does a much more serious crime. He eats food that is only supposed to be eaten by the priests, consecrated bread. Um, he takes it and he eats it. A little while later, Abiathar becomes priest. Probably David gives some of the, the bread to the people that he meets up with. But Jesus goes further than just pointing to David. Have a look at what he says in verse 27. He says there to us, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. You see, what the Pharisees had done is they had made the Sabbath, this good, right, proper law from God, they had made an unbearable burden. They'd forgotten that God's point of the Sabbath was to provide rest for His people. It was a good gift. And instead they turned it into something horrible as if we were made to keep the Sabbath instead of the Sabbath being made for us. Their religion, their religion had become more important than their relationship with God. You do the right things, God will be happy. Jesus goes even further in verse 28. He says, the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. If the Sabbath, the Saturday, the day of rest, was made for our spiritual and physical good, then the Son of Man is master over the Sabbath. What is Jesus saying? He says, I made it. It's made for humanity. I am the ultimate of what God intends for humanity. Therefore, I have right of rule over the Sabbath. In fact, Jesus is God. He is God's representative. He has the right to decide what is appropriate and what is not. Because it's not about keeping the letter of the law. It's about doing God's will. In fact, at another point, Jesus says, don't you know that God has been working on the Sabbath day until now? 
God's will, God's heart is to reach out and restore and rescue and save the lost. And the Pharisees are looking at him going, no, the rules say you don't. We see this in the next story. Jesus goes in to the church, to the synagogue, and there's a man with a crippled hand, and they're sitting there going, the rules say you don't help that man. Actually, the rules say nothing about speaking, and all Jesus does is he says, hold out your hand, and the man's healed. He hasn't broken any of the Sabbath rules, but he's, he, he, according to the Pharisees, he has. He's worked on the Sabbath, and of course, you, you have to hold the rules. It's quite interesting that they're happy to insist on the rules for Jesus, but they're also happy to break them and go and, and plot murder on the Sabbath day, a day of rest, a day of remembering God's goodness. Let's discuss how to kill this troublemaker. The real danger of, of a rigid legalism is that it can delude us into thinking that God is satisfied with us when we are sticklers for religious details. I would love it if we were perfect Christians, but I'd take an unperfect Christian who loves God and loves others every day over someone who, well, you wouldn't be a perfect Christian if all you did was keep the rules, would you? Uh, Pascal, the mathematician, theologian, philosopher, said that men never do evil so completely and cheerfully as when they do it from religious conviction. Jesus says, I'm not interested in your rules, I'm interested in doing God's will. You see, three places where Jesus plays by his rules and not ours. Our rules say that there are certain people who are good and certain people who are bad. Jesus says, well, I've come for the bad people. Which line are you in? Our rules say that there are certain traditions and, and you know you have to do the right thing at the right time. Jesus says, blow your traditions. How about spending time with me? Our rules say you do the right things and God will be happy with you. Jesus turns around and says, you know what? Let's do the will of God. That's going to make God happy, isn't it? Yes, if we obeyed the rules of God perfectly, we would be doing the will of God, but But even in seeking out the rules and the good traditions and the right society, we twist them and we turn them. Jesus says, let's not play according to your rules, let's play according to my heart. Now that's the story of Easter and, and it's disturbing because Jesus insists that we go to those who society says are not worth anything. If our church is just a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant church with all nice middle class people, there's something wrong. Jesus says, 
Forget showing off how good you are by your traditions. Doesn't impress me much. Hang out with me. And Jesus looks at us and looks at me and says, you're so keen to do the right thing. But are you so keen to do the right thing that you do the wrong thing by God? I don't like being challenged like that. It's disturbing. Pharisees certainly didn't like it because the first thing they did was to go out and say, let's kill this disturber. What we need is to be changed. What we need is to have our hearts changed. We're going to sing a new song. Um, it's one that we haven't sung before. We're going to sing it and then we're going to do our meeting. Change me from deep inside me and recreate me. All of my life I long to be more like you. Your heart, I give the world to follow your heart.